Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Total Media Podcast. We're going to be talking about all of the local news stories that matter to you today. We are joined by uh, the editor of The Telegram, Mr. Pete Wilson. How are you doing, sir? Very good. Glad to be here, James. And we also have the associate editor, editor Mr. Phil Buffington. Hello. And momentarily, we are going to be joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Red Thompson, Jr., uh, this episode of the Total Media Podcast is brought to you by Stockroom 601, featuring a new made-fresh menu, uh, several items made fresh in the store with never-frozen ingredients. They've got uh, AJ's fried mushrooms, they got traditional wings, and they've got the smash burger and the double smash burger, all made from scratch, never frozen, just absolutely delicious food. And again, that's Stockroom 601. They are open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And takeout is available if you call 740-286-1990. So, Pete, last night there was a Jackson City Council meeting uh, that was well attended because there's a you know, particular issue that the uh, some citizens are very excited about. You want to tell us about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, th- this has been an issue here for about maybe, oh, six weeks here in Jackson. And uh, it's what is the future of the Christmas decorations project in Jackson. And we found out that that project means a lot to a lot of people here and uh, how it was going to go forward, if it was gonna go forward in the future has been the focus of uh, uh, community input as well as uh, government action and uh, government action and um, consideration, you might say. Right now, uh, just a little bit of background, Uh, There are about 150 Christmas decorations that have been hung in Jackson over the last uh, 15 years or so. More than that, actually, but the number has grown from the beginning in 1996. And these Christmas decorations were purchased by private donors, but through the Jackson Area Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Early in the process, the city of Jackson became involved because, you know, you got to hang them on the electric poles and the electric department has to do that. Eventually, the city took over the ownership of the, of the decorations, and other than the fact that they're purchased privately, the city does everything. Well, this is a big job. Uh, you're talking about a lot of labor time involved uh, by the electric crewmen. Uh, you're talking about the expense of their time. Uh, of course, you know, they get paid on the hour. And, uh, you're just, and, you're, and you're talking about the time and expense and whether it's appropriate for the city to do something like that. And uh, the city is going through some financial problems right now in the general fund, and, and there are some within the city government who wonder if this is something that should be done, or if it is going to be done, should it be subsidized by the community uh, some other way than uh, just the city uh, doing the work and uh, meeting and absorbing the cost. So what has happened is uh, committees have been formed as a result of uh, uh, council action, there was uh, two meetings last night where this kind of came to a head. There is an ad hoc meeting of the of, of an ad hoc committee of Jackson City Council, three of the seven council members who were appointed to kind of address the issue out front before the full council makes a decision. And then there was a citizens committee, five people not part of city government who uh, were to represent the community to come up with a community solution. And there was actually a compromise that was proposed last night Uh, that received good reception. Now, before that meeting, however, there were 30 people, approximately 30 people in the parking lot, uh, who 
very much passionately want to keep the Christmas decorations going. They came uh, prepared with uh, chants and signs, and they were doing their democratic lobbying of the council members and the other committee members to let them know, uh, however it's going to be done, please do not stop the Christmas decoration project. So we fast forward to the meeting, and here is the compromise solution. This has not been um, approved yet or formalized, but here's the pitch, and it seems that this solution, this compromise, is getting a lot of support. The compromise would mainly involve people who pay electric bills now voluntarily making a donation to pay the costs of what the electric department has in the project. And that cost right now has been upgraded from 13000 to 20000 70% uh, of it is the labor costs involved, uh, the time involved uh, of the electric department crewmen. So you think that jump from thirteen to twenty that is to compensate just for the labor? Uh, the labor, the labor, the breakdown was fourteen thousand for labor, and then there was the time in repair. It was mainly the labor, but there was also the time to uh, fix the bulbs. There was the uh, use of the trucks, and there was fuel. All that is added up to twenty thousand. I think that was more of an estimate than a hard cost. But they wanted to, to, to have that more precise if there was going to be uh, something done to figure out how to cover that. So if it was figured that there are 4,000-plus people who pay electric bills in the city of Jackson, I'm not whether that's residential and commercial or everybody or not, but there's 4,000-plus bills sent out. If everybody voluntarily donates $5 over a period of a calendar year, that will cover the 20000 So when you say... A total of five dollars for the entire calendar year is what you're saying, right? Right, and there will be what they want to do is have a a a spot on the electric bill where you can voluntarily check, and they will charge you an extra dollar or an extra five dollars okay. or whatever you want to donate. You can also donate on your own. You don't have to be through the electric bill or whatever. And there were already a couple of people who stepped forward and said they would make donations of a hundred dollars. Right. So, you know, that's going to eat up some of it, too. And you don't have to live in the city to make a donation. Maybe somebody bought a decoration and they live out of town now. And, and so, uh, you know, those people can make a donation. They seem confident and optimistic that they can get that 20000 So if they pay the 20000 there isn't any of this thing about the, this issue of the electric department uh, uh, absorbing the cost okay. and maybe doing something that they shouldn't when the city has some financial problems in other areas. And the people who enjoy the decorations, whether they have one or not, or they just like looking at them, that project will continue. And you don't have to worry about civilians climbing electric poles or whatever else to, to get the job done. So this would have to be approved by Jackson City Council. However, the people on the Citizens Committee and the ad hoc members of, uh, of Jackson City Council, the three out of seven who were there, they all seem to like the idea. Some details have to be worked out. How many poles are there? Uh, can the uh, software that the city has in the utility office, can it create this extra extra check mark on the electric bill so, you know, it can be mm -hmm. presented that way? Because they feel that if people have that option to make a very small donation on the electric bill, they're more apt to do it than if they would write a check and, and mail it in or something like that. Okay. So, so we, we'll see what happens. So you spoke to some of the people outside uh, the event 
last night that were you know protesting, letting their you know opinions on it be heard. Uh, and we have a clip here that we want to play for you guys. So this is Ron Queen, who is a former Jackson City Councilman, right? That is correct. And he, how was he dressed last night? He was dressed like Santa Claus. Uh, that's one of Ron's alter egos. He likes to play Santa Claus during the during the during the uh, during the Christmas season. And he was there last night. That was his way of supporting the uh, effort in the community to keep the Christmas decorations project going. And of course, he does speak with some authority as he was on council for a number of years. Right. So let's listen to what Ron had to say last night. I don't understand. I mean, the electric department has a surplus in their account. We have a general fund that's going in the red and we need to worry about the general fund. I mean, you know, people paid thousands of dollars for these decorations and the city's always pay, put them up and they're in remembrance of people that passed away. And uh, they just, it just needs to carry on. I mean, it, you know, they started saying that there was overtime being paid. There's not overtime being paid, so there's no extra being paid for employees. The only extra money is the little bit of electric these lights uses, and, and it's very little, I'm sure. So is there anything you want to uh, kind of add uh, to what Ron said last night to you, Pete? Okay, well, there are a couple new aspects. You know, we're talking about 150-plus decorations, and there would be some changes in how they do things. They want to make sure that all the decorations are in good shape because some of them date back to 1996, and they're not in very good shape anymore. Uh, maybe some of those might not be put up or, you know, they would need to be replaced. Also, they have a new idea uh, in conjunction with uh, the downtown association to do the decorations in the three-block area of the main downtown a little differently. There would be no longer be any of the these purchased Christmas decorations in that area. Instead, it would be enhanced with the period lighting already there, plus, uh, I understand, maybe wreaths that are purchased particularly to be in conjunction with that period lighting. And then the decorations that are already purchased, that are all over the place, they would be put in other places in town. And they would think about maybe putting them in a, in a more consolidated way so that when the electric department puts them up and takes them down, you know, they're not all over the, all over the place and they're not spread out as much. And that might be another efficiency move, too. Once again, that detail will have to be worked out. One of the things they have to do is see if they can get that checkmark form thing on the electric bill they think they can and they also have to count electric poles to make sure they have enough room for everything because they wouldn't be putting them in the three block area downtown and we're talking about on main street from church street to portsmouth street and on broadway from maine to pearl all right well thank you so much pete uh for giving us the update on the christmas decorations i know that's a story that's Know, really important to well a lot if of you people. you know if you follow social media it's all over social media right. a lot of people feel very passionate about the Christmas decorations and we'll see uh, some of the folks involved think it's a win-win city is not subsidizing it and yet the Christmas decorations will continue all right thank you uh, so Phil last weekend there were a couple of rallies held in Manpower Park uh, we will get to the Black Lives Matter rally a little bit later in the show but uh, there was also the Free Ohio Now rally earlier in the morning. You want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, sure. Uh, this was actually the fourth such rally. Um, all four were organized by the same gentleman, uh, Dr. J.F. Rupert, who is a Bloomfield Township resident. Um, this most recent rally, he was in attendance with uh, three of his young sons. Um, like I said, the attendance 
you know, wasn't what it was for um, the, the rally later on in the afternoon, the Black Lives rally. Uh, his message is basically the restrictions associated with the opening of K through 12 schools this coming fall, um, though they haven't come out with any set uh, guidelines from the state or anything, uh, he's calling for just a return to, to school as normal. His argument is in the past few months, uh, the last few months of the, this past school year, uh, served uh, no educational value to students, right. uh, according to what he had to say. So we have a, uh, a recording uh, from him from last weekend, so we can go ahead and play that now, sure. and we can kind of hear his message in his own words a little bit. Free Ohio movement is all about uh, making sure that all Ohioans have um, the statutory rights that we were given and keep making sure the government uh, stays out, big government stays out of, of our lives and, and allows us to, uh, to work as, uh, as individuals. The state needs to realize as parents, we're smart enough to know when our kids are sick, we keep them home. And then when they get better, we send them back to school. We don't need to keep them home when they're well. What we found this last uh, uh, several months was no, no education really got done. Uh, the schools weren't prepared for any of this. Uh, the online services are uh, very poor, and they don't, uh, they don't represent uh, an activity that, that the kids can actually learn through. Uh, I myself, I have two special needs kids, and so I have three children that, uh, that they want me to try to homeschool myself. And the two special needs kids have problems in regular classrooms, so how, how do we think they're going to do in homeschooling? And this is, this is around the board. You know, kids do better with structure. And one of the biggest things kids need, too, is uh, socialization. I mean, that's part of the reasons we have the school set up the way we do, is for socialization, so the kids know how to act and interact with other kids. And that's one of the most important things they learn, especially early on, and hopefully they learn it in grade school and then on through high school. The cure can't be worse than the disease, and right now we're hurting our kids. So I think uh, one thing that I kind of take away from what he said that I, I think we can probably all agree with is that the schools were not prepared for this, no. but neither was anybody else because it's a completely unprecedented situation. And if you are going to kind of look on the positive of that a little bit for schools starting back in the fall, they're going to have a few months to kind of make this plan. And, you know, for better or worse, they're going to do what they feel is best for the community. And, and they have the the benefit of actually having a few months to plan it versus, you know, when the original school closures happened, you know, they really did kind of have to scramble to figure out what they were going to do. And it, some, some of the schools were you know, more well suited to it than others. It was a call for, you know, instant adaptability. And I mean, with the resources that, you know, are limited as they are in, in, in an area like Jackson County, you have to depend on a, the parents being able to provide such, you know, homeschooling activities with their kids and having access to the internet is, right. is not something that's, you know, exactly. That, that's a big a issue in a lot of places, especially in rural areas like, you know, Jackson, Benton County and, you know, Southeastern Ohio in general. Right. And Dr. Rupert also, I mean, this has been the case with, uh, at least some districts in the area. Uh, he, I, I, and I believe that his, um, his children go to school in Gallia County. Um, but he, he claims that he was sent an email from uh, that school district giving him three options. Um, one would be a, re a normal return to classrooms with regular safety measures in place. One would be uh, 
pretty much how the end of last school year was with homeschooling and computer-based learning and the second or the third option would be a hybrid a combination of, of both were you able to confirm that they did that gay academy or gary county schools did send out a message like that uh yeah they, they they've been sending that out and i believe um pete did jackson do a similar thing right i talked with the the superintendent of the jackson schools phil howard earlier this week they did send out a survey to both uh, uh, parents slash guardians and teachers just to see how they felt about things and, and here's the thing that surprised me a little bit it looks like and you know we don't know for sure what's going to happen yet but supposedly the high department of education is going to send out guidelines at the end of this month on what the schools can do and not do but it appears that local school districts are going to have some latitude in deciding how to do it the state isn't going to say that you have to do all normal like like it used to be or that you have to do a certain amount of online or all online uh, within guidelines and strictures they'll box you in a little bit but they're going to let you decide because you know they feel that maybe should be a local decision mm -hmm. and how it is in jackson ohio may be different than it is in cleveland ohio right so uh, that they're waiting to see how that goes and the information they got back from uh, parents and guardians was all over the map. Right. You have some parents and guardians say, I'm not going to send my kid to school if everybody isn't wearing a mask. And you've got more parents than that saying, if my kid has to wear a mask, he isn't coming. Right. So this is a, a dilemma because people have different attitudes about mm -hmm. the COVID-19 situation and what's appropriate for their children. So, Phil, you've been uh, keeping up with uh, Governor DeWine's press conferences pretty well. Uh, so I, I'm pretty sure that like his guidance did basically say that they are leaving this up to the you know county school boards and to make these decisions. Well, the one thing that I know for a fact he said would be left up to individual um, school districts was a start date. Okay. Now, as far as you know, what types of guidelines and you know things like things of that nature that hasn't really been addressed. Okay. Uh, there, there is an advisory group which has been his go-to tool in um, in business reopenings in various you know sectors of the economy reopening, utilizing groups of people that are in these fields day in and day out, people that would understand it better than uh, you know a lay person would to determine what would be best. And it might be a situation like it was with churches. Uh, mm -hmm. They weren't ever closed throughout this. They were just given a set of recommended best practices. Right. So it might be a situation like that. Okay. All right. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate that story. Uh, so, Red, uh, you've got a couple, some breaking news out of Vinton County, it sounds like. Yeah, we, uh, a happily, um, happy note, um, the Vinton County track project, is supposed to be completed either today or, or this week. Um, it's been a difficult process for the district. The company that started the track repair project over a year ago has went out of business. The school district was threatening to sue them. I think they backed off of that now. They've hired a new company, Highburger Paving from Columbus. They're up there now finishing it up. It's been over a year. And it was a difficult situation during football season for them. There was rubble on the track one game. They, the football teams had to cross. Both teams had to cross the track at the same time. The cheerleaders weren't allowed on the track. It's been a difficult situation, but it looks like it's going to end happily um, this week. So the school district was uh, very happy about that. Um, you also mentioned the start of school. 
Um, Benton County's looking at things a similar way as Jackson County. Um, board meeting Monday night, Superintendent Rick Brooks. They have a committee. They have three different plans. And not only are they doing three plans, they're doing them so they can blend them if they have to. If they start school under Plan A, which is a normal return, they got Plan C, which is kind of what they did after the schools closed, and Plan B is a blended plan. And they want to be able to switch back and forth if they have to. They obviously prefer Plan A. They want to go back to school in a normal way. But we don't know about the guidelines or a possible second wave. So they're waiting on that. And then one more thing um, from Benton County, uh, the courthouse is going to get a new telephone system. Their phone system's antiquated. They've had uh, times where it's been down for over a week. It's been hard to get calls through. And they have legal matters and, and real estate matters and a lot of things that people cost them for and they haven't been able to get through. So they're, they're getting a nice state-of-the-art phone system from Horizon Connect and Chillicothe. So there's a lot going on in Benton County right now. Uh, you mentioned to me earlier a story about the fire chief. Yes, and uh, we got word from uh, the Valley's Council. This hasn't uh, supposed to happen at tonight's council meeting, so we're recording a little early. The Wednesday night council meeting, longtime fire chief Chuck Fry is uh, supposed to um, submit his retirement notice tonight. And we'll certainly have more coverage than that in the Telegram. He's been there a long time and just done an excellent job. Rural community uh, has really good uh, fire protection for the village and a lot of the county that MacArthur covers. So we'll get more on that at tonight's council meeting. As again, this has been recorded previous to the meeting, but we'll have more on that as it develops. All right. Thanks, Red. Uh, so, Pete, what else has been going on this week? Okay. Well, yeah, because of COVID-19, a uh, very fluid situation. What's happening? What's not happening? Some of those things are coming into focus now with some of the summertime events, you know, fairs, festivals, Fourth of July celebrations. Here's the skinny on that, if my memory will serve me correctly. And everybody jump in here if I say something wrong or you know something that I don't know. Uh, on the 4th of July, the Oak Hill Athletic Boosters just decided they were going to have a limited uh, 4th of July celebration, July 3 and 4. In short, they're doing the parade, they're doing fireworks, and they're doing their famous fish booth, but nothing else. Uh, in Jackson, nothing at all. In Wellston, celebration of our nation activities on July 4th are off, except they will do the fireworks that night. That is the 4th. In Vinton County, no activities except maybe fireworks. We've not got a definitive word on that. Uh, that that's a big celebration in Vinton County that the athletic boosters do. County fairs. Jackson will not have a senior fair, but they will have some form of junior fair activities. That's the 4-H and FFA activities. There's going to be a livestock sale in some shape and form. In Vinton County, we'll turn to Mr. Thompson here because there was an interesting uh, turn in the road there. Remember, in May, they canceled everything, but then there was a development. Uh, yes. Uh, matter of fact, we ran a story in the Telegram with Austin Owens back uh, at the end of May, and he explained everything. He's the fair board president, by the way. He explained why they were going to cancel because they lost the events, and they felt like without the event proceeds, the gate receipts especially, that it would be difficult for them, and also to monitor the health 
protocol, uh, you have to remember the fair is a, a public event, and the fair board's in charge of it. They're the ones who are responsible if something goes wrong. So they, they, they take it personally that, you know, if they get a lawsuit, if something goes wrong that they didn't expect, it could come back on them. And they're volunteers, um, and it's, they do it for the good of the community, do it out of their love for kids, love for the 4-H. You know, they, they, you know, felt like there was some risk. But as Phil follows the governor's press conference every day, he offered money, as Pete mentioned, too, for him to have fares. But I uh, think the— Phil, uh, you remember how much, what it was, the financial amount that they offered? Uh, they offered uh, grants of $50,000 for uh, at least to, to offset some costs related to, I believe, infrastructure improvements. That's what I heard initially, but then— Red's information was that they could possibly, or some people thought you could use that money to help put on your fare and offset these potential losses that were expected because you can't have vendors. Right, exactly. But I think even with that, they were afraid if someone, if something goes wrong, they could be tied up in court or the reputation, they raise money. If something goes wrong, it's going to be hard to go out and raise money for the future. So they decided to not have the fare despite... And there was a, a group of parents, uh, apparently from what I, I saw, the meeting lasted three hours, and apparently it got... That was last Thursday. Yeah, right? last Thursday right. evening. And apparently the meeting was a little um, active, you might say. Um, there were some different opinions shared, but I guess at the end on a split vote, the fair board decided not to have the fair. Now, I, I just have written a story that hasn't ran yet in the telegram they are going to have a virtual sale where the kids can uh, they're going to raise money from sponsors the sponsor will decide what animal that they want to put it toward and then they're going to divide the money by the number of animals they are like if they raise a thousand dollars and there's 10 rabbits each kid will get a hundred dollars just kind of basic math there but that's what they're going to try and do all right thanks red uh so phil do you have another story you want to go over Actually, this this hasn't ran either. I just did this interview this morning, but uh, the, there's a new business uh, coming to Jackson. It's actually doing some business online right now. Um, the Tasty Days of Old, uh, 235 Broadway Street in downtown Jackson. They're they're going to feature uh, a pretty wide selection of candies that range from as old as back to uh, Victorian era. Uh, up to modern times, they have it broken down into different sections. Uh, roaring, the Roaring Twenties, 1940s, 50s, 60s. Uh, um, it looks like they're going to have some foreign snacks yeah, they and have, things like that too. Uh, things from the UK, from Germany, uh, Australia. Yeah, they have uh, Russian candies. Uh, they they have just, not only can uh, confectionaries, they have uh, like some chips, um, soft drinks, energy drinks, and um, also some replica old uh, tin toys, uh, mostly from Germany and China, since they still actually produce those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're replica antiques, and actually some actual antiques um, from their own collections. Um, so I had a chance to talk to the owners today, Justin and Holly Fife. Uh, they've lived in Jackson for the past seven years. They're both Pike County natives, and they're, uh, they're both teachers also. One teaches at the, I believe, at the Pike County Vocational Center, and the other 
at the Pickaway Ross Vocational School. Very, very interesting place. Okay. Definitely new to the area. And, and um, when, are, when is the, when is their uh, uh, official start date? It'd be July 2nd at 10 a.m. They're going to have a grand opening. And that evening, in conjunction with the first Thursday's um, event, they're going to, for sure, Captain America will be there. That will okay. help bring in the uh, 4th of July holiday. Yeah, that makes sense. And Captain Marvel may or may not be there. They haven't been able to confirm that okay. yet. So it's something exciting for the kids. And wh- where are they located again? That's 235 Broadway Street. All right. Very good. So, Pete, do you have another story you want to go over? Well, just a, a couple real quick. We were talking about what's happening and what's not happening and or what half of what is happening. Uh, we haven't mentioned yet, I believe, uh, that the Midnight at Moonville event, which is has a great following up in Vinton mm-hmm. County, uh, the supposedly haunted railroad tunnel up there in the Zaleski area, that's not until October, but they've decided not to do that this year. Right. Uh, Red covered that story. Uh, just once again, just from a business standpoint, the things they would have to do uh, to put that on this year, they just figured, you know, they'll punt and do that again next year. Also, kind of the same deal, the Vinton County Air Show, which is held the third week of September on a Sunday, they decided that they cannot do it either because the way they would have to do it once again, it may be a business loss, and they do it to raise funds to support the airport. So okay. they're not going for the second year in a row now for a different reason. They will not have uh, what's called the largest free air show in Ohio. All right. Well, thank you guys for uh, kind of giving us all those up-to-date news stories. So now we're going to kind of move on to our uh, top story today, and we have a special guest. Mr. Terry Qualls is joining us. Uh, he is the co-founder of Black Lives Matter Southeastern Ohio. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about the uh, Black Lives Matter protests that they had in Jackson and Manpower Park last weekend and uh, some upcoming events that they have planned in Galpolis. All right. Thank you for joining us, Terry. Uh, so if you want to tell us a little bit about the uh, event that was held in Jackson last weekend. Well, thank you for having me. The event in Jackson, we had spoke to one of the event coordinators. He had asked us to come down. I was being from Guy County and visiting Jackson quite frequently. I was surprised at the turnout. I actually thought for Jackson County, that was a lot of people. And Jackson is known to everyone, people of color, as to be the place not to come through at night or anything else on the freeway. But I was actually glad to see as many people here as there were. And I was very, very happy that you guys were there to take note of it and broadcast for that i pre- I appreciate you guys very much thank you well you're you're certainly welcome i mean i i, I told you i mean pete is there's nobody that works harder for local news than pete wilson and he you know is works tirelessly anything that's going on in this area he makes sure that one of us is there and normally he tries to make sure two or three of us are there to make sure that you know everything is kind of getting you know people that are trying to get their voices heard are you know have that opportunity through the media to get their voices heard uh so you know, you want to tell us a little bit kind of about your your personal experience living in southeastern ohio and this is a predominantly white area and a lot of people in this area they is, just have never experienced the things that minorities particularly black black people and black men don't necessarily understand uh you know some of the issues that are raised like by national movements like black lives matter and why it affects a, a small area like southeastern Ohio? Well, growing up in southeastern Ohio and Gal Police particular, I really hadn't seen a whole lot of racism until I got older. 
You know, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood. I had my, my white friends that lived on a block away from us, and we would go visit them and play with them. But I'd never had actually saw racism or anything else until I was older in life. Probably true racism, junior high. You know, I and I was a little larger than most people. So the first time I ever met it is I was walking downtown in Galpolis, and I was walking by a lady and she automatically switched her purse to the other hand away from me and then crossed the street. So I asked my, my mom, I said, Mom, what is she doing? Don't worry about it, boy. I'll talk to you about it later. And then she explained to me, or standing at the red light, and as people are at the red light, you're standing at the corner ready to cross the street, and you hear the car door click. And you're like, okay, I know why they're doing this. But those are my first real seeing of racism. And then as I got into high school, it was, hey, we can be friends, but you're not allowed to talk to me and we can't date because you're black. And my dad says no black people can do this and that. Um, and then as I got a little older, um, it was, I had some friends of mine from Vinton County and I would go to Vinton County to see them. We played sports together and I'd be stopped driving home. What are you doing down here, boy? Then, it, then I started to pick it up a little more. And as I got older and went off to college, I remember going shopping and having people follow me around the store like and ask me if I was going to buy anything, if I was ready to buy anything. Those are the type of things that you know I started to notice as I got older. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're ignorant and ridiculous. But, and kids nowadays face the same thing. I've spoken to a few kids from Jackson and Gallia, and they've had the same things happen to them that I had happen to me 25, 30 years ago it's still going on today. So nothing's changed. It's became a little more hidden. But now, unfortunately for you guys in the paper business, there's the internet. There are smartphones. Mm -hmm. You can't hide it anymore because it's right there in your face. You know, while you guys were going on earlier, I just happened to be clicking through my phone and I saw there that there were five african-american people found hanging from trees in the last few days and two of of them were in california um i don't remember the specifics off the top of my head but the one story i believe that's kind of been getting the most national news coverage uh, i believe was in sacramento and it was originally ruled a suicide and then his the victim's family were kind of like wait a minute we want we want a little bit more of an investigation of this because especially with you know the racial climate that's going on nationally right now that's you know a young black man found hanging in a tree is, raises some eyebrows and if you're just gonna you know it needs to investigate a little bit further than that particular case was initially that it does now i did want to touch on an issue that we had spoke about earlier um yes i am one of the organizers of black lives matter southeastern ohio i do not agree we do not agree with rioting and looting that's our thing is we want to get our points across with dialogue. We, we do not want the Antifa, if that's what they're really called, or any of the violent protests. But as Dr. Martin Luther King said, when people can't be heard, violence, violence will, will spread. And, and that's the issue that we're having here. We've tried to be, be heard for ever, 400 years, and we're still not being heard. And, you know, people put, and I've gotten rid of a lot of friends on social media because of this. It's not that black lives matter more. 
And if people put all lives matter, that's great. All lives do matter. But what we're saying with Black Lives Matter, Black Matter, pe people of all colors have grown up poor, had to work. That's not what we're getting at. What we're getting at is you've never had your life made harder because of the color of your skin. I've interviewed at places that told me I was too qualified. I didn't fit the mold. And it was for no other reason that I was an African-American man. So I understand, but that's what I want people to realize is we are not about that whole rioting, looting. We are about dialogue. If someone wants to come to me and say, Terry, let's talk. Tell me what I can do to help. Tell me what's politically correct, like the message I had sent you. I, we are more than happy to do that. What we want to do is we want to make our little area of southeastern Ohio, Gallia, Jackson, Megs, Vinton, the model for what should happen. You know, we are, I'm going to announce this, and we are working on a civilian oversight committee for Gallia County and taking that mold and trying to pass it off to other counties so if something were to happen, they can come to us. We can head it off first with law enforcement or whatever the situation means, schools or employment, so we don't see how Minneapolis is. So that doesn't happen to our little area. Because no matter how much racism is seated here, we are still a small community. And like you said, you remember me from high school. I have friends that, you know, all in all the communities around here. And I want us to be a beacon for everybody else to look to. I want us to be able to say, hey, if we can do it in rural America, where the population of African American or people of color is less than 5%, you can do it anywhere. And it's if people can understand that and we can make that model work, we can pass it on to everywhere and try to beat systematic racism, try to show people that, hey, see this little community? We can come together, and so can you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, so I believe I saw on Facebook that you guys have an event planned this coming weekend in Gal Plus. Yes, we do. We have an event Friday evening at 6 p.m., at the Amphitheater in Gal Police, Ohio, and we're going to call it our Juneteenth celebration. Does everybody here know what Juneteenth is? So, well, that was when uh, slavery officially ended, correctly? No, no, it's not. Juneteenth was when a rider finally made it to Texas to announce to the slaves that they were freed after 30 months after the Emancipation Proclamation, and it was on June 19th. So that's what Juneteenth is. It took 30 months for them to be able to spread the word to the South that slavery was over. You're now free. You can go and do as you please. 30 months from the time the war ended to the time everyone in the South knew that they were freed men. I, I did not know that story. Had, had you heard that story before, no, Pete? No, I just learned something. No. Yeah, I think I think we probably all are learning that yeah. for the first time. Now, um, can I say one more thing real Absolutely. quick? Absolutely. Um, for anybody looking to learn anything about um, local history and African-American history, the John G. Historical Center in Gal Police is the perfect place. Um, you can learn about the Battle of Buffington. You can learn about the Lambert Lands, which everybody here knows what the Lambert Lands is. I, I am a product of the Lambert Lands. That's my great-great-grandparents. I'm a product from out there. So um, that would be something to stop by and see. 
It's located on Pine Street in Galpolis, Ohio. Okay. Um, it. I don't know the whole story of it. Um, I'm sure I can Google it and tell it to you. But that would be a great place for people to go and realize the history of our area, the history of African-American people in our area. Um, John G. donated the first um, African-American cemetery in Gallia County on Pine Street. He donated the church there. And it's a great place to go and learn. Okay. Well, that's a great recommendation. I appreciate that. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to end our conversation with uh, a recording of uh, one of the speakers from the protest in uh, Jackson last weekend. Uh, this is a 17-year-old uh, senior at Vinton County High School, uh, and she had spoken earlier in the event, and then after hearing some of the other uh, speakers talk, she decided that she wanted to get back up and kind of speak off the cuff of her you know, very personal experiences with racism. Uh, and, and Terry, after we play this, if you want to comment on it, you're welcome to. Uh, if not, we will just end the podcast with this. The first time I was ever called the N-word, I was in kindergarten. I didn't know what it meant until I went home and told my mom, so kids are screaming this at me, and they do it all the time. And then I had to have a sit down with my mom about what the N-word meant and how I needed to stand up for myself. Most of you will never have to sit your kid down and tell them if you see a cop when you're driving by, put both your hands on the steering wheel and don't make direct eye contact. Don't wear your hood up in the stores. Don't put your hands in your pockets because that's what I've heard since I was a kid. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want my kids to live like this. I moved to Vinton County. Kids were pushing me down the stairs, telling me that they were in the KKK and they would take care of me. Get this nigger out of my school. Get this nigger off of my street. How can you let a nigger cheerleader cheer for us? This is Vinton County. I can't cheer because I'm black. I can't, I can't do anything because I'm black. I'm living, I'm breathing. I'm just like the rest of you. I want to go on to be successful. I want to do something with my life. I want to be a journalist. And it's 20 times as hard for me as it is for somebody that's white that's doing the same thing. Because when I speak up about things and want to report things, I look angry. But when somebody white does it, they're just stating the facts. And that is the injustices we face. So I hope that you can take my story and what I've gone through and spread it. So people do become aware that it's not all lives matter. You just aren't educated on it because you've never experienced it. But there's plenty of people around you. You have plenty of resources. It's your own fault to choose ignorances because you have so many open opportunities to choose from to learn. Thank you. Would you like to add anything to that? I feel deeply disturbed by hearing that for the fifth time since she said it. Um, Shame on Vinton County High School. Shame on any teacher, principal, or anyone else that let that, that, that little girl go through that. Shayla Alcorn, I want to let you know I am here for you. We are here for you. If you need anything, it's someone to talk to, someone to help you through this, someone to help you become a journalist, you reach out to us. There's no reason you should feel that way. You are a beautiful young woman, not black woman, woman. And you have the choice to do whatever you want to do and be as successful as you want to be. Don't let closed-minded people hurt you or lead you astray. And as far as how she feels, multiply that and you have how every 
person of color feels. Not only black, but Indian, Mexican, Asian. We all go through it. It's just a matter of time growing up as a child before you do. My children have went through it. And my youngest child is 10 yesterday. He's went through it. He went through it in preschool. My older children have went through it. It's got to change, but the only way it can change is through people, through voice. Because that's the only way we're going to be able to change it. There has to be systems in place but more than systems and policies, those people in D.C. can sign whatever they want. They don't care one way or the other. I mean, I hate to say that. They're politicians. They quit trying to worry about us little people a long time ago. The only way to change what's going on in the world today is by changing hearts and minds. You have to change people's hearts and minds, and that's the basis of all this. You know, Dr. King... He knew you have to change hearts and minds. You have to be able to, I have to be able to look, look across the table from him and have that difficult conversation about race. And you have to be comfortable enough with it to say, hey, this is how I was raised, this is how I feel, but yet and still, I understand. I'm willing to understand. I'm willing to stand beside you. We don't want anyone to feel that way. The whole issue with race around this area is people aren't comfortable with talking about it. And if they are, if they could talk about it, they'll make some placated, pacified excuse to why they believe this. Okay, you believe that. Well, let me tell you what I believe. Let's our opinions get together. Let me show you who I am as a person instead of who I am because you see the color of my skin. I've had friends of mine who are Caucasian, but darker complected. Um, you know, their ancestors came from Greece. And they have been called the N-word. And, you know, they're like, why? Well, because you're dark-complected. You know, they, they can't tell the difference. But you have to be able to have those difficult, difficult discussions. And I've had some of my friends lately, some people I, I, I've loved for 25 years that I, I, I've considered family. I've had those difficult discussions with them. And some of them are now out of my life because they can't figure out what's going on. And some of them would stand by me in a hailstorm, a tornado, and you appreciate those people. I appreciate you guys for having me here today. You did not have to do that. But you just got to be willing to say, hey, how do you feel about this? And this is how I feel. And I know, and eh, it's okay. But you got to be able to have that difficult discussion about race. And people say, well, it's happening to everyone. It is happening to everyone. You know, police brutality is happening to everyone across the country. The issue is it's happening to people of color and nothing's getting done about it. You know, oh, we're going to go ahead and acquit or the grand jury's not going to go ahead and indict. We want... Everything, we just want an even playing board, playing field. We want to be equal, treated equal, not different because of the color of our skin and have the same alienated rights that everybody else has. You know, I want to look at Red and say, hey, Red, how you doing today? I'm fine. 
and him say the same thing to me and know that by him talking to me, he's okay with the color of my skin or being pulled over by a state trooper out through here or a cop and not having to put my hands on the dashboard or my hands out the window, put my phone on speakerphone and on video and call my, my better half because that might be the last time I get to talk to her and my kids. And that is scary. It's, it's, it, it, it terrifies me. You know, I have this discussion with young men every day. Hey, if you're going to be driving, make sure if you get pulled over, window down, put your hands out the window, already have your driver's license stuff on the dashboard so he can get in and reach it himself so you don't have to. No one should have to have that with their 16-year-old kid. Or anytime your kid goes out the house, you shouldn't have to worry about your kid coming back because, you know, he matches the description. I am six foot six, 294 pounds, and I've been told at least 50 times in my lifetime I match the description. And what's the description? Black male. I met the description, and this was last year on vacation. I met the description of a black male at five foot 10, 190 pounds. They stopped me and asked me if I, what, I, what I was doing there and what I had done. And I said, what's the description? Afri- black male, 5'10", 180 pounds. I said, I haven't been 5'10 since seventh grade. I said, so, and they wanted to push me up against the car. And at that point, you don't have another choice. You can't retaliate because the minute you try to pull away or anything, your life is in jeopardy. And that shouldn't happen. But thank you guys for having me. Um, once again, Gal Police will be having a rally on June 19th at 6 p.m. at the Amphitheater. Um, please come out and join us. It's on Facebook, on our Facebook page, um, Southeast, you know, Black Lives Matter, Southeastern Ohio. Um, go to our page, like it, and share it. If you have a testimony, put it up. If you want to reach out to any of us, put it up. And everyone, please remember, we are here. Even if you want to have a... Di- even if you're not a person of color and you want to have that difficult conversation, message me on the page. I'll have that conversation with you. We'll sit down and have coffee. We'll talk about it. And that's all I have for you guys today. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Terry. And thank, or Pete, did you want to add something? No, I just wanted to thank Terry for being willing to come here uh, from Galpolis to talk to us and uh, pour his heart out to us and to our audience. We appreciate it very much for you. I always tell everybody that are involved in these protests, whatever, whatever it is, or movements, whatever they are, when you put yourself out there, that's a major commitment and responsibility, and it shows, honestly, a lot of character. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you guys for having me. Thank, thank you. Jerry.